Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. I'm also the founder of Print Design Academy. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. Now, today with this guest, we are talking about lenticular printing. Now, lenticular is that type of print, you know, where you look at it one way and it's got one image and you kind of tilt it a bit and it's got another image, you know, that you could see motion. Sometimes you see motion. Um, I've seen, I remember it most as a kid in like hockey cards where a guy's about to like take a slap shot and you tilt it one way and he's winding up and you tilt it the other way and he's like following through the slap shot. You know, it's basically used to create motion between a few static images and it's called lenticular printing. So now I also have this little giveaway. Just before I introduce the guest, I have this little contest giveaway thing that I'm doing for the Print Design Podcast. Um, I've partnered with Mohawk Paper, you know, manufacturers of brilliant, beautiful papers for printing. Um, and they create the old Mohawk Maker Quarterly. Now, this is a beautiful publication that they put together using incredible print techniques, using in their incredible papers, showing what's really possible with them. Now, they have given me all 16 issues of the entire Maker Quarterly. Like every Maker Quarterly that they've produced, I've got a copy and I'm giving them away as a complete set. So if you want a chance to win that set, here's what you have to do. Number one, go to print design underscore academy on Instagram and follow us. Number two, leave a rating and a review on the print design podcast in Spotify or Apple podcast, wherever you're listening. In about four weeks time, we're going to randomly select one of the reviews. Make sure that person is also following us on Instagram and that person will then receive the full set, issues one to issue 16 of the Mohawk Maker Quarterly. This is a ridiculously cool prize. It's a beautiful set. And every designer, whether you're interested in print or not, will love to have this thing sitting on their shelf. Um, so my guest today is Armin Witt. He's the co-founder of Under Consideration, uh, the FPO blog, um, also the brand new conference, uh, along with his wife, Brioni. And uh, in this episode, he goes into detail. We do a deep dive into one of the most recent brand new conference guides where they used um, die cut letters along with lenticular printing, a few different types of lenticular printing um, to create this incredible uh, product, this incredible guide for the brand new conference. Um, if you attended the conference, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, head over to our Instagram and take a look at the pictures of this thing because it is insane. It's so cool. So we do a deep dive into this and what's involved in creating something like this, the hurdles that they had to jump through, the crazy timing that, you know, where it came down to such a rush in the end. Um, just fascinating. And I love chatting with Armin because he has a passion for print. He loves print and always has and really enjoys creating incredible, tangible printed experiences for the people who are attending events and for, for his audience, whoever he's creating them for. Um, so I'm really excited to share this one with you, and we're just going to get right to it. So ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Armin Witt. Here we go. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Armin, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me again. No, it's awesome well, to have for the you. First time, for the first time on this one, but again with you. <laughs> Definitely. The first time I could say that we're going to deep dive into print, but we kind of touched on print uh, during the Quickie Podcast, which was super fun. So excited to get into this one. Yep. 
So to uh, just sort of introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, which could potentially be new and just sort of coming up, everybody's heard of Under Consideration, I'm sure, and all the other stuff you have going on. But tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yep. So my name is Armin Witt. I am uh, the co-founder of Under Consideration, the other co-founder being my wife and business partner, uh, Brian Gomez Palacio. We've been on our own for uh, 13 years now. Uh, we started as uh, kind of like a traditional design business, and then on the side we had the blog Brand New, uh, which was preceded by the blog Speak Up, and sort of the blog took on a life on its own, and that grew uh, quite a bit, and now we run uh, the Brand New Conference, which is based on Brand New, and just to, also to clarify, Brand New is a, a blog about logo and identity redesigns for well-known uh, companies, organizations, and the such. And um, yeah, we're uh, just the two of us. Uh, we've been like that for the 13 years. Uh, we've been working from home, again, for the past 13 years. So half of this whole situation that, we're in, that we find ourselves in right now, we have that half of working from home figured out. Oh, there you go. So you got that part sorted out. It's yeah. just the extra background noise and kids and dogs and other things that could contribute this time. Yep, and the virus. Yeah, and the virus is always <laughs> that potential. Um, so before I get into sort of a little bit about when you first came upon print and, and packaging and that, I first learned like a week and a half ago that you used to produce UC Quarterly or Under Consideration Quarterly. Was that mm -hmm. right? Yep. So how did that project come to be? So that one we had, uh, so this was what, 2013 or 14, mm -hmm. I think. And, you know, we had been running... At that point, we had like five blogs running at the same time. We had Jeez. brand new. We had, uh, I think, a little, no, speak up was closed. But we had brand new, FPO, which was for print only, Art of the Menu, and Quipsology. So only four. I don't want to exaggerate uh, on the record. <laughs> so we had four. <laughs> and we figured, like, could there be a way of bringing that, you know, very horizontal experience of the blog into a print publication and just highlight the best from each vlog, from each quarter. So all mm. the best projects, take them out of the blog and put them into a little publication. And um, yeah, we just thought, like, let's run it as an experiment. Uh, we printed the content using a newspaper club, which uh, prints newsprint publications really, really cheaply and really fast. Um, and then, yeah, we just thought, like, maybe people will enjoy it. And they did. Like, we, we I think we printed five, no, either 500 or 750. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but like the first year uh, we sold out. And then the second year, I think people were like, okay, you know, I can get this on the blog. So why get a magazine as well? <laughs> so they stopped buying it. They're like, okay, you know, that was a two year experiment. We got to do some layouts, some print. And uh, so it was fun. That's cool. Yeah. So continuing sort of in that vein of, you know, print back in the day, what is your earliest memory of print and packaging? Maybe it's something from your childhood, from your teens? Yeah, I think the first time that I noticed a printed material of any sort would have been the Atari uh, boxes, you yeah. know, the, you know yeah. just like those. And I think it may have had more to do with the, illustra the illustrations than the actual uh, production quality of it. But just like, I remember those being very tactile uh, things and you took it out the sort of expectation I think that's what I remember the most like getting the box opening the box and then uh, taking out this clunky little uh, cartridge <laughs> that I used to play with um, I think that would be it and then I had I thought about it um, because I have another example which are the VHS uh, cases oh yeah and, you know, and in my case I still have Betamax cases uh, Tape, so those were they were the same, just a little bit smaller. But I remember that they had that little die cut, so you could grab it with the, the tape with your fingers and pull yep. it out. Like, wow, that's amazing! <laughs> it's just like someone, it's like some designer and printer. They're like, oh, you need a, a die cut for this that will help millions of people take their uh, VHS tapes out of this. And uh, I, I, and the tapes, the the boxes were amazing with all those stripes and. 1980s typography they were great oh they're so cool like i should now that you say that i feel like i should just start collecting vhs boxes like i'll get rid of the tapes 
but keep yeah. the boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. My dad actually had this massive, like a book, a bookshelf that was as long as a room and it had three shelves in it and he had them too deep with VHS tapes, the yeah. big movie guy, big movie collector. We would record movies off of super channel. So each mm-hmm. VHS tape would have three movies on it. It would get numbered and then it would be put into a booklet under like genre and tape <laughs> number. Like it was super organized. And I grew up with that and it was 40 pages, I think of like <laughs> categorized VHS tapes that got updated. And then how quickly that like just, became useless <laughs> so fast <laughs> um now what about recently though armin have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that you really enjoyed uh, recently no and I, and I think part of it is because it's uh it's such a common thing nowadays that you interact with a printed piece in one way or mm-hmm. another and you sort of like don't think about it as much i think the last time that it had a kind of like a wow experience was the first iphone yep. um where you know i think that aside again i, I think it relates to the atari cartridges just like that sense of expectation like i'm getting this thing and it's being presented in this pristine box that you can barely i mean it has corners but like you don't feel the corners because it was like so magically done in the way that you know apple does packaging um and just like again like the unboxing the layers the even like the feel of that box was Mm -hmm. special um so yeah i think that's it's a little bit of a lost art in um in part because we've every a lot of things have just moved digitally yeah. That uh, like even the Netflix um, DVDs by mail, you know, they had that weird paper that was indestructible. That because you know it would have to uh, you know have go through all that wear and tear of the post office. Mm-hmm. And it was like this indestructible paper that you couldn't rip with your teeth. And it had this great texture that you know that has been lost because now it's all online or your TV, whatever. Yeah, you know, there's there's definitely some truth to that and a great example of showing how impactful print could be and how quickly you could get somebody's attention relatively easily with just a little bit of effort in print is everybody gets those fast food flyers where this Burger King McDonald's just shows up in your mailbox. It's a flyer. It's maybe got some coupons or something on it, but there's nothing special about it at all. Imagine yeah. getting one of those and it's printed with a scented varnish and smells like bacon or something like that. Like that would transform that experience and have somebody pay so much more attention to that flyer than they usually would. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where it comes down to. And it's understandable that things like that cost money. They take Mm -hmm. time, you know, research and development, whatever. So it's easier to just, you know, CMYK, not even that anymore. Just like digital printing and you print a thousand on the fly and just get to it. Yep. No, I know what you're saying. Um, but what, what makes print so valuable to designers? Because whether they're creating print and putting it out there in the world or not, designers have a keen appreciation for print and for packaging and for noticing that stuff. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it, uh, I think it's the, because it gives like a visual, uh, tangible manifestation of your ideas. Like it brings your typography to literal life, you know, for the most part, like the work we do, typesetting and all that, uh, illustration, whatever it is, you know, you'd see it on screen and it's fine. But when you're able to hold it in a box, in a book, even in a poster, like it takes on a, on a different scale, it, it, it becomes part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's something just satisfying about, you know, it's not the same as birthing a child but i think you know every time you put you bring a little bit of design into the world you know and you could say that yes then it becomes trash and landfill and and whatnot but you know romantically speaking i think when you're able to bring your design into the world and other people interact with it i think it's just endlessly satisfying for Mm -hmm. some reason no for sure and if you were to compare producing a design that gets put out on Instagram or lives on a website and producing a design that gets printed and you can have up on your shelf. What do you think, what's more impactful? What's more special? Yeah, I think it's definitely the, whatever, you, anything you produce. I mean, we, we have samples. I mean, we've designed some really horrible 
stuff. <laughs> but if it got printed, we have a sample of it. Like, you know, <laughs> it lives wanna, on. Yeah, it lives on. And uh, I think there's something about, I mean, just the archival nature of it. Like, you can keep it. Like, you can have a copy of it. Whereas if it goes on Instagram or Behance or your website, it's just like, you know, it goes to the bottom of the pile and whatever's new replaces that. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, you might go poke around your old Instagram posts again. But, you know, it's not the same. Like, uh, you don't, like whenever I open a drawer and I found, and I find a piece that I designed 12, 15 years ago, like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And, you know, the ink is a little bit more worn out and the edges have yellowed. I don't know. There's something about it that maybe it's meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but it's, again, it's satisfying. It's satisfying. It creates sort of an emotional experience. Yep. Awesome. So I know in a little bit here, we're going to dive deep into one of the brand new con guides or booklets that you've created. Um, but when you're coming up with ideas and creating that event guide, where do you look for inspiration? Where do you look for ideas and planning? And like, where do you go for that stuff? So for the brand new conference, what we try to do every year is uh, create <clears throat> an identity that relates to the city that we're in somehow. Cool. Um, so, you know, uh, just to ask a few examples, like 2015 in New York, with its spray paint, because New York is gritty and there used to be a lot of spray paint, so there's that. For Nashville, we did some sort of, uh, a lot of music-related things. Um, When we were in Chicago in 2017, we did a bunch of shiny materials because the venue where we have the event is is next to the Bean sculpture by Anish Kapoor, which is officially the Cloud Gate, but everybody (laughs) knows knows it as the Bean. So, you know, we just... Basically, like it's it can be as easy as like image search, Google image search for Chicago. What comes up? Oh, the bean. Okay, fine. There's one thing. Um, you know, so it's it's not like I don't have a bookshelf of inspiration. It's just like a in, in a moment when decisions need to be made. Mm-hmm. I can just think like, all right, what when I think of Chicago, when I think of New York, what do I think about? And um, you know, sometimes it's. Uh, smart things sometimes it's silly things sometimes it's useless things but it's just that like trying to create those loose connections and uh like i think the inspiration comes from keeping your eyes and ears and mind open year round so like you're always looking at things you're always observing you're always like sort of storing things in mm-hmm. your mind mm-hmm. and then eventually one day you can access those things as needed um Got so it. yeah it's like there's a lot of, like, you know, a lot of people think, like, oh, you get inspired. Like, I don't think that happens. Like, you don't wake up and, like, oh, my God, I have it. Like, it's only, <laughs> it's only after you're, like, racking your brain for hours on end that you arrive at connections that make sense. Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, it's more about, you know, banging my head against the wall until something Enough makes times sense. that something yeah. falls out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So a little bit of fun here. When I think of Chicago, I think of deep dish pizza. I've never been to Chicago. I've never had Chicago deep dish pizza that I'm aware of, but that is some sort of stereotype that's stuck in my head. Yeah. So if you came up with that idea, Chicago deep dish pizza, what would you do in print for your brand new guide? <laughs> I think it was like the back cover of the program would have to be like this big fluffy squishy thing that when you you know it's just like a bunch of nothing which is the crust and you know the, the big crust that the deep dish has and then it, like it would be a really like a needlessly thick guy <laughs> <laughs> just like you sort of have to open it and dig in from the top which would like get unnecessarily thick and, uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> um Again, sort of sticking with that back in back in time here, Armin, what was the very first print project that you were ever a part of? The first one that you ever produced? It was it was a terrible postcard. It was like a stupid, you know, four by five <laughs> postcard that I did at my first job, which was a large internet consultancy place. Okay. And it was called US Web CKS, and it was like a big deal. Like it was a big thing at the time. 
And was you, I don't even I think I don't even remember the content of the postcard, but I just remember it had a lot of zeros and ones because computers. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, like the because most basic, computers. Yeah, like the most basic concept about digital technology. And our logo was black and green, like the really bright neon green. So mm-hmm. like uh, everything was black with uh, green type and white type. And uh, like I remember going on press. It was the first time I went on press. And I think we were printing something like 10,000. It was stupid. Like for the first time project, that was a big quantity. And it turned out fine. But I just remember being so, so nervous about it. And I probably still have a copy of it somewhere. I really hope you can dig it up I, and send I'll me a picture. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that was it. And I think I, I remember being really stressed because it was uh, my first th- thing being printed. And it was at the time. So this was uh, late... 1999, mm-hmm. and most of the designers that worked there were web designers. Okay, and so I was like the print guy because you know I didn't know the web. So the the, the, only, the only other alternative at the time was like, oh, you're you're a print designer, print even guy. though I had yeah, even though I had never literally printed anything professionally, but you know it just fell on me to figure it out. And um, I had also just moved from Mexico to the U.S., so all the terms were completely alien to me. Like, I remember the project manager saying, like, I'll get you the printer specs. I was like, what the hell are specs? <laughs> <laughs> like, I had to, you know, there wasn't even, like, you couldn't Google things at the time like that. She was like, yeah. all right, I'll wait for her to send me something, and I'll find out. We'll figure out what it is. Are. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I got it, I was like, oh, the sizes and the paper. Like, okay, got it. Got it. Yeah. Nice. So even despite all of that, though, it turned out okay went yeah, fine uh, yeah now have you ever been a p- part of a project that did not turn out okay did not turn out as you had hoped or go well or went sideways at some point you know it's it, it may sound like i'm bragging but no uh i mean there have been like bad uh, you know where the color isn't as saturated as you'd hope or you know you Something is a little bit of register, mm-hmm. but I've been lucky enough that no, that I've never had a job come off the press, and you'd be like, oh, "What did I do? Like, why is this <laughs> happening?" Yeah, or go to um, the press check and it's like orange instead of the blue that you yeah. picked or something. Yeah, I think like the worst thing that has happened, and it wasn't even my fault, was we were, I was printing a poster that we had designed, and it was for us, and it was black background, and just mm-hmm. like a lot of. Uh, metallic ink and uh, red ink but it was coming out speckled uh, like a lot of white speckles on it like sheet after sheet and then it would be fine and like what is it something with the plates is it something with the ink whatever it was it was just like the fact that whenever they cut they trimmed the paper the the Mm -hmm. trimming was not with a new blade so all the fuzz Mm -hmm. from the uh, uh, from the edges of the paper was running into each pass um, and that was like that's been the most stressful thing, like because mm-hmm. we're running out of paper, we're just like running print after print after print, and just like we couldn't get rid of the specs. Um, so you know, it wasn't my fault, but for a while you're thinking like, what, what, you know, what karma am I paying for right now? <laughs> uh, you, you know, especially being your own project, you, we're paying for the paper, we're paying for the mm-hmm. printer time. It's just like this thing is going on and on. Uh, but yeah, I have no. Sadly, I have no war horror stories to report. You know, sadly in one sense, but also yes. a good thing in another sense, right? Yeah, for sure. And I can imagine, you know, when it's your project and you're there for a press check, even though it's not something that you are doing or have done or could do anything different about, you still ask, you're questioning yourself, could I have done something different? What could I have done differently when there's really nothing you could have done? Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, I think part of it is just like the, the pressure, the sense of pressure when you're at a printer, mm-hmm. at a press check mm-hmm. with all the print, the big print machines running and everything is on time and there's like a big schedule board on the wall with when something has to start and when something has to finish. And like every time you're like, oh, I want to make the yellow more yellow, people are looking at you like, no, just like let go. The yellow is as yellow as it's going to get. <laughs> we need to move on. Uh, so there's a lot, there's always like a really big uh, uh, sense of pressure in that environment, and mm-hmm. it's loud, and people are screaming, and then the press man, the, whoever is in charge of the press, 
hate designers because they know that designers are going to come in with a stupid request. It's just like, <laughs> it's just yellow, isn't it? But, uh, you know, uh, they, what's funny is that they know so much about color and design and type and they just don't get the credit for it. But they're ama- I've met some of the most amazing creative people that are, run the press, the mm-hmm. press machine. But mm-hmm. I got in way off track, so let's get back to it. <laughs> no, no, you're totally right, though, that with the pressmen, they're one of the most knowledgeable people to help you achieve what you're yeah. going for. But I think in certain scenarios, because um, they maybe haven't been given that credit or given the opportunity to help, they're approached more of a do this, do that by some designers at press checks. It sort of spoils yeah. the experience for a lot of people. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Okay, Armin. So now I want to do a deep dive into a print project that you were a part of. I want to get into budget, how you made certain decisions, um, what things cost, the experience of press checking, proofing, whatever you did. Um, what do you got? What project are we going to talk about? Yes, yeah, so I thought uh, we could uh, talk about the 2019 Brand New Conference program, uh, which is uh, it was done for the Las Vegas conference this past October. Mm-hmm. And so the one, like the overarching theme, the identity for this year was all about the neon lights of Las Vegas. So, you know, like I was saying with the... Uh, with how we come up with ideas. Like, we're just like, what are the obvious things? And with Las Vegas, there's nothing better than the neon signs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for designers. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, something else comes to mind, but I mean... Yeah, yeah for other people, it's like the gambling, the, you know, the shows, the other distractions, whatever it is. But for designers, it's like the old vintage neon signs. So yes. uh, we're like, okay, fine. Like, that's one, that's the thing. But how do you translate that... Um, the flickering of the neon lights into print. Like that was sort of thing. Like how can we get that effect, that sensation of being in Las Vegas and all the lights are coming at you and blinding and the noises and the slot machines. Like how do you get that, you know, that sense of, uh, you know, that so much is going on. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the, I was looking at a Las Vegas book and I saw a picture of the the flamingo neon sign which has those like big bulbous flowers iconic and, yeah it's just yeah. Like, you know, one of those classic vegas uh, neon signs and she's like wh- what it is about is like it has on and off state so like the light the neon light is either on or off or it's one color or another so it's just like it's switching between two things really fast and in synchronicity so like they create a rhythm and then i was like you know that's what lenticular printing does. Like, you know, lenticular printing is just, it allows you to switch between one image and the next. And it so almost does it magically by when you, as you flip the lenticular sheet. And we're like, can we, can we do something like that? Can we get lenticular printing to do something a little bit more high end or a little bit more designy other than, you know, crappy things that you get in the mail? For like, yeah, like those, like those uh, direct-to-consumer uh, mailings that you were talking about, like someone goes like, "Oh, I have an idea how to engage more people. We're going to do lenticular printing, and it's going to be a hamburger, and one side is going to be a closed hamburger, and the other one's going to be open, and people are going to freak out and buy hamburgers, uh, all through the magic <laughs> of lenticular printing." Uh, and you know, you look at it like, "Oh, this is stupid," and you throw it in the trash. So our idea was, all right, can we take that same kind of like tacky? Uh, print uh, technique and do something interesting with it. So we're like, all right, let's uh, figure out where this takes us. So uh, it's kind of like the first experiment that we did. And our idea was like, what if we, if we take two separate lenticular images mm-hmm. and then do a die cut of the conference, which is B and conf for brand new conference. So, and then, so what if you take you know, if you cut out the B of, you know, cut out the B out of two different images and then, you know, um, transpose them and, you know, switch them around so that you have the background of one image and the B of another image and then vice versa. So you get this kind of like uh, uh, double, uh, like double input of images coming at you from the same source. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I realize this is hard to explain 
on the radio, which I know this isn't radio, but <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. I, I actually have this conference booklet. So okay. uh, we'll put some pictures up as well, uh, just to yeah. give the visual to it. Yeah, so, so, right, so we knew, so we are like, right, that's it. Like, that's our hook. We're going to do lenticular printing. It's going to be cool and fun, and it's going to be different. So then we're like, how do, how do we do it? Like, there's no, uh, you know, it's not quite clear. It's not something that most designers have done. <laughs> and um, we, we keep an archive of uh, printer promotions and paper promotions that we've gathered over the past 20 years. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are 10, 15 years old because they're not done anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're not produced at the same amount, uh, the same quantity or, uh, you know, the same amount, the same amount of time as they used to before. So we used to have a sappy uh, printer, a sappy special effects uh, promo about how to do special effects. And mm-hmm. in there, there was an example of a die cut lenticular printing. Now, was like, that the, it was coil bound book. And yeah. In the back of it, didn't it have like a scented coffee can, like a scratch yeah. and sniff coffee can? Yeah. I have that book literally <laughs> to my right right now. Yeah. So that's kind of like our Bible. Like we're always turning to that book and we have, we mm-hmm. cut out little pieces here and there just to send, us a, send, send a sample to a printer or whatever. Uh, but yeah, we use that book a lot. And you know, it turns out that the, the printer that printed that piece is the printer that has been sponsoring our conference for the past five, six years. No way. That's it's, awesome. Uh, so it's classic color in Broadview, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And, um, you know, we've known them for years. And then I think five, six years ago, they were like, hey, can we, you know, can we help you with the conference by printing your program? We're like, yes, please. But like, they're one of the best printers in the U.S. We love all their work. So when they approach us, we're like, yes, it's a no-brainer. So that was really helpful because they knew like, the guy that we, we are in contact with. Like he didn't remember. Like he's like, I told him about it. Like, hey, we did that. Like, yes, I know you did that. Like I'm telling you, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, so he was able to. The key thing was that he was able to put us in touch with the supplier for the lenticular sheets. Okay. Which you know, it's not something that I didn't realize that you needed lenticular sheets i mean it's kind of like a basic thing like yes lenticular printing requires a special kind of actual physical sheet that's not your normal piece of paper but yeah. you know it hadn't occurred to me how it worked or that it was an industry you form. don't know till you know right uh so it turned out that this supplier called pacour p-a-c-u-r uh, they're kind of like the BMW of lenticular printing. They have the nicest lenticular sheets. So they have different levels. They have eco-friendly uh, lenticular sheets. And um, we're like, all right, cool. Um, let's go with them. And then after that, they were like, and then my main question was like, how do you interpolate the images? And like, well, you need special software. Like, what? Like, doesn't the <laughs> can you just like doesn't it just happen? Like, no, so you need someone, so there's even, like, you can buy software that's like $5,000 and you can oh do your calculation, or there's someone that has their own custom software that they do it, and they, they, it's basically uh, what's called, uh, what's it called? No, pre-press? Yeah, so pre-press. Yeah, pre-press, yeah. Pre-press digital service. So the guy at the lenticular, the supplier, they have on staff someone that does that for a living. Like all he does for a living is prepare images for lenticular printing, which again blows your mind that someone absolutely and there's an expert and they know exactly uh, because each lenticular sheet they're called lenses. So the lenses have different thicknesses, different heights, and depending on their curvature and whatnot, the images have to be prepared a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was able to figure all that out. So he would just like, give me image A and image B, and I'll figure it out. And I'm like, good, because this is blowing my mind. <laughs> but you, can actually, you can actually do it yourself uh, um, in Photoshop. Like you can take your pixel uh, selection tool and take one, slide, one pixel slice of each image and then you interpolate them and that's basically what it is is you're, you're mixing you know you're laying all, uh, you're laying one image on top of the other and taking out slivers from uh, 
from mm -hmm. HM at really tiny intervals. So, you know, we had all those players in place and, um, and then it was a matter of uh, getting a supplier for die cutting the letters. And that was, that was sort of the biggest hurdle, finding how big could the die cut be so that we could maximize the use of the die cut because die cuts are really expensive. So mm -hmm. that was, we didn't have to pay for the printing. We didn't have to play, pay for the lenticular sheets because they're all getting like sponsor credit. Oh, the, good. I was going to ask that, you know, at, at what point did you start to think like, how much is this all going to cost? Yeah, like, you know, our printer, the average cost for the programs is around $20,000, $25,000 for yep. a thousand copies. So it's expensive. Yep. The lenticular sheets, I think it would have amounted to, I think, 7500 to 10000 just the sheets. Just for the sheets before you even get anything on them. Yeah. And then the pre-press guy, I'm not sure. Then... So the, the one thing that we did have to pay for was the die cutting. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being, I think, like $6,000. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't much, but because we're so, we're so adamant about, like, tell us what is the maximum dimension of the die cut that we can use so that we can design against it mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, get the most, most out of each sheet. Um, and not just say like, oh, we want the program to be 10 inches by 10 inches because that's what we want. But if you tell us that there's a, a limit on the dimension of the die cut, then we can work backwards from that. So you're basically leaning on them to tell you what are sort of my max sizes? How do I get the most efficient layout and use yeah. of this paper? Yeah, exactly. And then because we also had to take into consideration the direction of the lenses on the lenticular sheet. You know, the, the sheet might be whatever, 20 by 40, but the lenses run in a particular direction mm -hmm. that it's funny because uh, in real life, when you flip the lenticular sheet left to right, it looks great. But you try to film that on, on the iPhone and it doesn't capture. It doesn't. It's so weird. Yeah. But then in real life, if you go up and down, you barely notice it, but you shoot that with your iPhone and it's like, it blows your mind. Like, no it looks way. Like, I did yeah. not know that. Yep. So um, we were like, we had to figure out what do we prefer like, on the program? Do we want people to experience it in person, how it shifts? Interesting. Um, or do we want to play it for Instagram? Yeah, or do we want it Instagram-friendly? Yeah. <laughs> so what we did was we, play, we decided that it was important for it to be great in person. But then when we photographed it and documented it for our website, we documented everything 90 degrees. So like instead of shooting straight on, we <laughs> shot it sideways so that we could capture that movement, which is stupid, but you don't know that <laughs> until you get the actual sample. So, yeah. uh, you know, little things like that, that you don't expect to learn or that they're an issue. Yeah. All right. So you've got a printer lined up. You've got your lenticular sheets lined up. You got your pre-press guy who's going to do the, like the file work for you. You got your quantity nailed down. You got your die cutting all nailed down. How do you proof lenticular printing? Like, yeah. Uh, so the, the again, like the good thing, you know, I didn't know. Like my thinking was that you print on the back of the lenticular sheet. Like mm -hmm. somehow you turn it around and you print on it, and somehow it happens. But what they do is basically you print on a regular piece of paper, mm -hmm. and then the lenticular sheet just gets glued on top. Mm -hmm. And and again, like it sounds so basic and dumb, which is like I had no idea. Um, so yeah, they just basically the printer just runs. Uh, uh, digital proof and then they send it to the or, or they get the lenticular sheets from the supplier and then they just glue it on top and uh, i'm guessing there's a system for it that makes it easy um that i never saw but mm -hmm. yeah, you're able to get a digital proof with a piece of uh you know a lenticular sheet glued oh, that's on top. awesome then, so you're yeah, actually so able to proof it yeah, like, yeah. oh that's cool uh, that's cool uh, i think that they do have like specific they gave me a warning, like, you know, um, the final piece might be a little more 
like the final lenticular sheet might be more dull. Like the color might not be as vibrant. So like mm -hmm. don't get too encouraged by this color. Uh, but the color turned out fine. So I think maybe they have special kind of sheets for proofing that they can do one-offs mm -hmm. at a time. Um, yeah, so that I don't remember. But yeah, you know, you can, and then we have a laser cutter in our office. So we were able to cut, to do a test of the die cut because yeah, testing a die cut, you don't, you cannot test it until it's made. You have a laser cutter in your office, Armin? Yeah. yeah it's, it's our, <laughs> Was that just like a fun toy, a late night Amazon thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it took us, uh, we were doing a lot of laser cutting prior to owning one. Okay. And, you know, we, we had a supplier a vendor in Austin, Texas, where we used to live, that we, just, we could drive our material there and they would do it and it was super cheap. But then we moved to Indiana and we lost that vendor. Mm -hmm. So we're like, you know, we use laser cutting enough that it might be worth getting one. And uh, we we looked around and there was, there was too many options. Like you, you think like there's not that many options, but there's really a lot of options. And there's like Chinese uh, laser cutters that, you know, you have to figure out on your own and you have to calibrate the mirrors and the lasers like that sounds hard. Yeah. Or they're like the really off the shelf, like user friendly laser cutters that are not as powerful. But we ended up locking out that uh, <clears throat> our vendor in Austin, I emailed them saying like, hey, what laser cutter should I get? Like one, someone I know is selling a laser just like ours. It's a $35,000 machine. They're selling it for $5,000. We'll take it. Like, it's a few years old. Like, it's fine. It's like when you get a, like we have a lawnmower from the 1980s that works amazing. Yeah. Uh, because they don't build things like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so we got this uh, uh, great piece of machinery. And it turned out that the guy that did maintenance on that um, specific laser cutter, he lived in Austin, but he had family in Indianapolis. So he was like, for $500, I'll drive it up to you. Like, sold like this could not be oh my gosh yeah because shipping that thing would be because it's a big machine yeah uh, so yeah so he drove it out to uh, out here and installed it it was great uh so yeah we have that laser cutter and we use it all, a lot so we've gotten our money's worth and uh because it allows us to prototype things fairly quickly yeah and things that you know normally you would be there with the exacto, which is like cutting oh, those painful. Like, yeah, just Illustrator, send it as a you know, save it as a PDF, laser cut it. Um, That's but, so cool. Yeah, so we're able to test our our uh, idea of interpolate, interpolating different letters. Mm -hmm. I mean, mixing and matching different uh, backgrounds and foregrounds uh, with the proof, and they're like, hey, it works. Uh, now it's just a matter of like getting the actual real thing your laser cutting so you were actually able to proof you know your die cutting letters and sort of see what it's all going to look like in a finished product yeah so proofed it everything looked good you then did you did you do any press checks on this did you just wait to get the finished copy back like how did the how did that sort of finishing final process go yeah in this case uh, again because we've been printing with this uh, printer for five six years in a row and they're super good uh, we, um, we didn't go impressed. Yeah. Um, impressed. We just trust them to do a good job. And, uh, they did. Uh, the one thing that went bad, badly was the, the binding. Uh, and it did, they have to send it out to, uh, they don't do binding in house. Yep. So they have to send it out to yet another <laughs> vendor. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, unfortunately they, they scraped all of the spines uh, so the, the cover is all black and um, the machinery was scraping all of the spines. So there was all these white scratch marks on the oh, no. on the spines. And what happened was that, you know, I think they, uh, our printer has been binding with them for so long that they also trusted them. So, you know, they sent the, the printed books to the binder and the binder then sent them directly to us. And then we got it and we're like, what we opened box after box and like, what the hell happened here? Like everything is scratched. Mm -hmm. And we're like, the printer was like, what do you mean it's scratched? Like, yeah, look at it. 
and he was, you know, they, they couldn't believe what had happened, and uh, you know, the like, the lack of uh, quality control at the binder in this case because you know they've worked with him for a long time, yeah. and they've probably bound, you know, all of her books up until now. Uh, so this uh, and this was we were very much down to the wire uh, yeah, in terms of timing, okay. because it took such a long time to get all the pieces in place. Um, so they had to drive. They had to hire a, a driver to drive them from. Uh, the binder was not in Illinois. I think they were uh, in Ohio. No, they were in Illinois. They were in Illinois. So they had to drive like four or five hours to get it to us. And there was just like this old gentleman that drove it. And, uh, you know, on top of that, the somebody ran a light and all of the boxes had tipped over in his van. Oh, so it was just no. like, you know, we were like doomed from the start. And then so we, they had to reprint the book, rebind. And the same guy comes back, you know, drives back from Illinois, you know, three days later, and then he has to take away all the other ones. So we're just kind of like this, uh, you know, unnecessary stress for him, for me, for the printer, for the binder, but eventually it turned out fine. Um, and then, <laughs> like, the, the, so in the end, like, we had the final product, we had the letters uh, in lenticular, we had the books, and now comes the part that we do, which is what we are sort of known for, which is doing manual labor, stupid amounts of manual labor <laughs> that most designers be like, no thanks. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I shall not do that yeah. for any reason whatsoever. And uh, we take it on as a challenge. Like, we really enjoy trying to figure out an assembly line type of process of two people where we can generate a thousand copies of whatever it is that we're designing. And this one was particularly hard because we had like something like 12 different designs of each letter. And then we had to first take them out of the die cut. So we had to pop them all out, then had to organize them and then to remix them all at once and then stick them all down on the pro each, uh, each program, the cover has six, well, 12 different stickers. They, they're all hand assembled. Uh, well, the other thing is that we, we had the option of uh, on the back of the lenticular sheet to put a self-adhesive paper so you would peel off the backing and you could just like straight put it up, which was an amazing – you hours, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. Because at some point we're like, oh, we'll glue it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We'll put like some uh, crazy glue. We'll 2,000 sticks of hot glue trying to yeah. melt it all on. <laughs> So at that point, we're like, thank God that the printer said, because the, it was the printer's suggestion, like, hey, we'll put some self-backing on it. Like We're like, eh, not needed. And it's like, no, you should get it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> we, <laughs> we did have to get it. So you've uh, got crazy amounts of hand labor in there to do this final assembly where you're putting that extra little touch on it. Now, what what was the reaction of this printed piece when you finally started handing this out? What was the feedback like? People were loving it. They were like, this is crazy. This is amazing. Like, I've never seen lenticular used like this. Yeah, and uh, the, yeah. the great thing is that we get feedback right away because we give it out at the conference. We're there at the conference. We're the host. So people come up to us. And, like, from the stage, we can see people, like, turning their uh, <laughs> That's so cool. their programs back and forth. Um, and, again, it's just, and I think the best feedback that we got was, like, this is such a stupid, not like this is such a simple uh, idea that makes so much sense, but that I couldn't have come up with it. Like the idea of lenticular for on and off lights, like it seems, you know, in hindsight, like, yeah, that makes sense. Turning mm -hmm. lights on and off, lenticular goes on and off. Um, so that, I think that was the best feedback that someone said, like, you know, it makes so much sense, but I don't think anyone could have figured that out. Yeah. Uh, and then just like, even like people, uh, when we put it online, like we posted a little uh, preview on Instagram, which no high-end production of uh, photo shoot, it was just like people were blown away because it's not something that you see every day. And like, it's not, it, it, it is in no way me patting myself on the back, like, oh yeah, we're so smart and clever and we did this cool thing. But that, you know, getting those reactions out of people, like that's what we go for like can we do something yeah. that is just like 
you know, unexpected that, uh, or that takes something that you take for granted and gives it a new spin. And in this case, it was lenticular, and yeah, people just loved it. And uh, you know, uh, every now and then, like I said, we still have samples all over the house. Like I'll, I'll run into one, like oh, I play with it, like it's so satisfying. <laughs> That's what it is. It's just so satisfying yeah. for a, a print thing to just do something that's not supposed to do. That's it. And it's going to continue to do that for you and so many yeah. people for a long time. That's something that an Instagram ad just can't do. Yep. Right. So from the idea saying, yes, this is the direction we're going to completed products in your hand, what's that timeline? Um, it's usually about six months. Um, six months of going months, back yeah. and forth and proofing and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then, especially in this case, because it required so many different uh, people coming together, so many di- different vendors coming together. I think yeah. that's what took it uh, took so long. With other programs, it's a lot more straightforward. Yeah. I mean, when we're just working with a printer, I mean, it will be in actual working time, it will be like two, three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the, if we condensed it between the time that you, you know, for responses and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like design time, the, the amount of time it takes us to design, like that's something else. Like that's our fault. Not yeah, our fault, for, but that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, Got it. And how many yeah, times and, during that hmm? process did you go, we're not going to make it? And this year, many times like <laughs> many much more than than we wanted to yeah. because we knew how much longer it was going to take us to do the hand assembly yeah um, you know getting the thing printed was the easy part uh, like even they were printing like it was done in three days like oh that's all it takes three days like you you know but they drag it out like oh it was going to take a month like, like you can do it in three days now i know uh, but yeah it's just uh and i think we have Maybe, like, we were done the week before the event, which is, we hate doing that. We always want to be ready at least two or three weeks. And this yeah. one was just, like, getting so close. And, um, yeah, it was just one of those. And then we got sick. Like, we usually get sick after the conference. Like, our <laughs> body is, like, you know, even if you sense that you're getting sick, like, your body is, like, you can do this. Well, I'll get you through it until the conference. And when you relax... I'll get you sick. Like, don't you worry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you sit down <laughs> this, at home, that's when we'll get you. Yeah. But this time, like, we both got sick and it was just, like, working through it. And, yeah, it was just one of those, like, it not, not that everything went wrong. It was just, like, more stress than necessary. The blood, sweat, and tears that went yeah. into the BN conference. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, Armin, designers out there who are looking at getting into print design, starting to do more print design, more than just that, you know, jukebox print or Vista print templated business card or something like that. What's your advice for them? Where, where should they start? What should they do first? I think the, I mean, it used to be so easy because printers and paper companies would come to you with samples Mm -hmm. and explain the process and bring you all the promotions and, that's how I learned. And I think like looking back, you know, and they would bring you donuts. That was great. Like it was a that thing. That was awesome. Yeah. Printers would bring you donuts and the paper wraps would bring you donuts. It was amazing. But since that doesn't happen anymore, I think if you're able to get your hands on print on paper promotions mm-hmm. or paper swatch books, and those are still done, uh, you know, whether it's from Nina, Mohawk, Sappy, uh, Domtar, whoever, they still put out books. And they have all the production notes in the back. Mm-hmm. Just like reading about how things are made, what inks they used, uh, what process, process, processes they used. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think you know, that's the, the only way that I can think of where you can at least learn the terminology and learn what, it, what sort of things that you have to think about in terms of uh, uh, you know, specking paper, specking inks, uh, mm-hmm. all that kind of which I guess like now it just comes to second nature, but I, I think I learned that language from um, from those pieces. And the other thing is like just take tours of print shops, like ask a printer to give you a tour of how they do things. Like to this day, if I go to a printer, I'll be, I'll be like, give me a tour. Like I don't, I'm like, 
like a junior designer again. Just like give me a tour. I don't care mm-hmm. if I've seen it before. I just want to see how you do it. And you learn so much from seeing uh, jobs on press, from th- seeing how things come out unfinished, yeah. and then go, seeing how the process they, for sure. Yeah. Yes, I think, uh, and I think printers really enjoy giving tours of their operations because it's a little bit of a obscure art nowadays. That uh, you know, I think anyone that pays printers attention is just welcome, um, and because Come no one, on cares. yeah, like no one really cares that much anymore about print. So uh, yeah, I think that's one way, and it doesn't have to be a big printer, like even a silk screener. Like most people. A lot of designers, they have no understanding of how to separate a job for a simple two-color poster. Mm-hmm. Would you like send a JPEG? Like, no, that's <laughs> never going to print. We can't do that. Yeah, uh, they just say, yeah, that's what I use for putting it on Instagram. Well, that's not going to cut it for print. No, your PNG uh, isn't going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so even just understanding that simple process of how. Even just like a one-color T-shirt, a one-color poster, how does that get from Illustrator to the T-shirt or the poster, whatever it is? Like that's such a – it can be mind-blowing. Like, oh, that's how it's done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially for young designers that just, you know, everything was – everything is delivered as a JPEG or Mm -hmm. a PDF or worse, a keynote. Like a PDF, (laughs) you have to at least make a decision – do I save it as CMYK or RGB? You know, like yeah, you at it? least have to make a decision. <laughs> do I add uh, crop marks or not? Like keynote, yeah. it's just uh, it's just like you know, a digital native thing that you don't have to think about, and that's what many things are delivered as today. That there's just no understanding of how things get printed and produced. Yeah, keynote, just no. <laughs> so at the end, this is the last question here I want to get into, Armin, and this is the ask the audience question. So we've got an audience of graphic designers who are excited about print, wanting to learn more about print. Most of them are junior junior designers, really just trying to get out there and get into the game. Um, what is your ask the audience question? Um. So if I had, if I asked, if I wanted to ask them something, or yeah, something so that we they have are to ask go- we are going to ask them this question. So okay. this is going up when your episode goes up. This goes up on Instagram, and that's where we get a little bit of feedback, and people will be answering this question. I would say, what is your biggest fear of getting something printed? I like that. Simple, but there's so many different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and I still like to this day, like uh, just to answer my own question, mm-hmm. to this day, I still fear printing a spot color red because it's impossible to get. I like, I always want to get fire hydrant red or Coca Cola red, and that just doesn't exist in offset, at least. In, uh, in silk screen, you can get a pretty bright red, but uh, when you want to print, offset a really bright red it's nearly impossible and that's still my main fear that it will print out too pink it will print out it will print out too orange it's never quite right so that's always my fear mm, that's a so good I, one I just, I just don't choose, i don't design with red anymore just to avoid it <laughs> nothing red <laughs> yeah. armin that is the end of the print design podcast man thank you so much for being my guest today i really appreciate your time and dropping some knowledge on how the creation of something as insane as the brand new conference guide, um, you know, what that process is like. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Fascinating. Diving into what goes into making one of these incredible guides for the event that they put on for the brand new conference. Um, They go all out for this guide. This guide in itself is a massive collector's item. So be sure to attend the conference and hang on to your guide. The next one, they had to move the dates from 2020 to 2021, but I believe it's in Austin, Texas uh, in early October in 2021. So definitely go check it out because that guide is going to be a showstopper. Also head over to our Instagram and answer Armin's question. He'll be looking. So answer what, what are you most afraid of um, or your biggest fear of getting something printed? 
leave a comment on that, uh, the question tile on our Instagram for this episode. And uh, I can't wait to see your answers in there. I'm going to be adding mine. Um, now, also just a reminder, if you want a chance to win the full set of Mohawk Maker Quarterlies, issues number one to number 16, it's an incredible set. It's so amazing. Um, if you want a chance to win that, you got to do two things. One is follow us on Instagram at print design underscore academy. Then also go over to the print design podcast, wherever you're listening to it on Apple or Spotify, leave a rating and a review. And in about four weeks time, we're going to randomly select one of those. And, uh, and we're going to send you this Mohawk maker quarterly full set. Thank you so much again for listening. We will see you next week.